Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. 24 hours ago, one of our staff families uh, had a new addition. This is Miss Lydia Kate Hindman. Uh, so this is Pastor Trevor and Miss Lauren's daughter. She was born uh, just before 5 a.m. yesterday, and that's why Pastor Trevor looks so sleepy. And, uh, you know, I said, I said to him, I guess sometime yesterday when we were talking, I said, hey, uh, that, that good night's sleep you got Thursday night, that's the last night's sleep you're gonna get for about 18 or 19 more years. So, uh, no, just what a great blessing. And if you, if you see the grandparents, you see, I think it's Nana, and Pawpaw uh, Heinemann running around or Aunt Christy, you might see a big smile on their face too, but we're so thankful for the blessing that God has given to this family and to this family that we love so much. Uh, and so and you'll see them in the next couple of weeks, but uh, you can drop on their Facebook, <coughs> Facebook page or Instagram and just congratulate them on this new addition to their family and to our church family. And then you heard a bunch of stuff right there just a minute ago. Uh, Corey just gave us some great information. But if you are a, a part of our G teams, which means you're a volunteer in any area of our ministry, we want you here tonight. It's gonna be a great night as we look at just the next few weeks of ministry. You're gonna hear some things that are coming up uh, before we announce them to the church. So we want you to be here six o'clock tonight. You can go online and register just to help us prepare that you're gonna be in attendance. And then Couple to Couples coming. It starts next Sunday night. It's sold out, but we want you to be a part of the waiting list so that you might can get in on a great event for engaged and married couples. Again, just a really, really cool time. And then next week starts a really unique season in the life of our church because we start at the movies here in person. Uh, but for those that cannot join us in person due to some licensing issues, we can't stream that series. So our team has put together a, 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 just a unique series just for our online community over those three weeks. So we'd love for you to be in person. There's some really great things you're gonna get to be a part of if you're in person for at the movies during those three weeks. But if you cannot join us, we've got ministry just for you over those three weeks at 9, 15, and 11 each Sunday, and so it's gonna, be, it's gonna be awesome. You know, the last three weeks, we've been looking at this series, Committed, and we talked about three weeks ago about the idea that in our current culture, there's just a lack of loyalty. I mean, there, you know, there, there's just not a lot of things that people are super committed to, and so what does it look like to be committed to God? What does it look like to be committed to relationships? What does it look like to be committed in marriage? And that's what we've been looking at over these last few weeks. And today, to really conclude this series of being committed, I, I, I honestly, I, I've retitled this message about four or five different times. Committed to faithfulness and committed to the journey and committed to the process. And, and I don't really know where I landed. I think maybe it's called committed to faithfulness somewhere in some of our planning documents. But as I've been thinking about it, I've recognized that maybe over the last 11 months or so, you've just wanted to give up. Maybe over the last you know, few years, there's been some circumstances in your life where you just weren't really sure if you could press through and you could really make it. Maybe, maybe perhaps for some of us, it's been over the last 11 days or so, or maybe the last 24 hours. You just weren't sure that you could really make it through the things that you were walking through. And what I would say to you is that in this series about commitment, I wanna encourage you to stay the course. Be committed to the process. You know, Babe Ruth, the great philosopher, he had this quote. He said, it's tough to beat a person who never gives up. It's tough to beat somebody who just never gives up. If they just stay in the fight, if they just stay in the process, they stay in the journey, it's tough to beat them because their perseverance is going to cause them to keep looking for ways to find victory and to find success in the journey. Well, the Bible also speaks to this idea. It says this in Galatians chapter six, verse nine. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary 
in doing good. Now, let me make sure that you understand what we're talking about right there. We're not saying that it's gonna, you're gonna reap a harvest no matter what you do. This is not some kind of pie in the sky, name it and claim it, whatever. Everybody's gonna work out in the end for, every, you know, everything's gonna work out in the end for everybody. It says, don't grow weary in doing good. And so let me just say to you with all the compassion that I can muster in my heart that some of the things you are walking through right now may be that you are not doing good. They're not bad things given to you by God. They're the consequences for bad decisions in our lives. And all of us have experienced that. So what we have to recognize is if we're experiencing bad times because of bad decisions and there's consequences for those things, maybe we need to reorient our lives. Maybe we need to make some better decisions. And it doesn't mean that all of the consequences will immediately go away, perhaps. Maybe we still have to pay the price for some of those things. But if we don't change, nothing will change, right? The way to get what you've always gotten is to do what you've always done. And so perhaps for some of us, it could be that we need to be doing good. It's not the growing weary part, it's the doing good part. And maybe that's what God is calling us to do. But if we are doing good, even in that type of process, sometimes we grow grow weary. We get tired. We're not really sure how it's gonna work out. And so we're trying to put all the pieces together and figure out what God may be doing in our lives. And so what I would say to you is exactly what Galatians says right here. Don't grow weary in that. If you will stay the course, if you will not give up, if you will stay true to the process and stay committed to what God is calling you to do and asking you to do, in the right time, God will bring about a harvest. And so as I was trying to think, like, where could we spend our time today? Where could we go with with this idea of being committed to faithfulness, being committed to the process, being committed to the journey? And and I've been joking with our team really since since yesterday that I have an incredible six-week series that I'm about to preach in the next 30 minutes, okay? So you just need to buckle up and hang on. You may need to grab something to take some notes because I really believe that over the last last few days, God has laid this on my heart for our church in this season of time. And I believe as we talk about this idea of being committed, that for us, this is what God is calling us to as a church. And to find that truth, we're just gonna kinda dig in deep into God's word, into the Old Testament, into the book of Daniel. Daniel's a, 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 a prophet. There's, there's this book here that really speaks to the, the things that are to come. There's a lot of foreshadowing in the book, but it's also a history book. And then it tells us a lot of the stories of the children of Israel in this period of time in their history that was very pivotal. There was some captivity that came, which we're gonna read about in a second. And it really shaped the next few hundred years of the story of these Hebrew people. And so I want us to look at some commitment ideas from the story of the book of Daniel. Here's what we read beginning in Daniel Chapter one, beginning in verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the, holy, from, the, from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect and handsome and showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed and quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Maybe that looks like some of the people here in our church. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Now, there's a few things that I want us to see here in this first part of Daniel chapter one. It's maybe not a familiar story to you yet, but we're gonna get to some characters in just a moment that perhaps you would recognize that will help some of this 
to, to become a little more clear to us. But in these first few verses of Daniel chapter one, what we see is that the enemies of the people of God come against the people of God. Judah was one of the two kingdoms here, and so this is the people of God that are living together with themselves as the kingdom has been split, and the enemies come against them, and in verse two, depending on the translation that you're reading, it says something like, God gave them over to their enemies. One translation says that God handed them over. One translation said that God delivered them to their enemies. And sometimes when we read that, it's very difficult for us to understand what's happening here. Other times when we read it, it's very easy for us to believe that the stories of scripture, even in times of adversity, are God-ordained, but the stories of our lives in times of adversity are just the hand of the enemy. But if you read this story in Daniel chapter one, we recognize that while we live on earth, we are not promised ultimate authority here on the earth. Sometimes we have bought into this idea that as followers of God, we will always be in the majority, and that's not the reality. If you read through the Bible, the Old Testament stories and the New Testament stories, you see that the people of God often experience some of their greatest seasons of growth when they were under bondage, when they were under captivity, when they were fighting their greatest battles in those seasons of time. And sometimes because we want to feel like we're going to be victorious, which scripture does speak to, we try to put that time of victory into our present circumstances and we try to make that an earthly victory when in actuality it's a spiritual victory because the earthly victory hasn't yet come to pass. There will be a day according to scripture which I believe to be the truth, the absolute truth of God when the kingdom of heaven will overcome all of the kingdoms of earth but that hasn't happened yet. And so as people that are followers of Jesus Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we find ourselves in, in places in our own narrative where we are in the minority, where we are under attack, where we are living among people who believe contrary to us, who want the worst for us, who, who believe that they are right and we are wrong, and so they fight against us at every turn, and that doesn't always mean that it's the enemy fighting against us. It could mean that it's God allowing the story to develop so that the ransom of Christ is necessary on the earth. And so you and I don't need to lose hope in those seasons. We need to recognize that God is sovereign. God is in control. God is leading and guiding our lives. And he's calling us in those seasons, just like in this story and other places throughout scripture, to be a light in the darkness, to speak the truth in love, to stand for something, because if we don't stand for something, we will fall for everything. And so what we recognize here in Daniel chapter one is that God delivered the people of God into the hands of their enemy, but it was to accomplish something great. And so if we find ourselves like these people here in the beginning of the story of Daniel, when we are not in the majority, we find ourselves in a place where the people that are over us perhaps maybe believe differently than you believe, what are we to do? Well, I believe we find the truth of these things in the continuation of Daniel chapter one. This is what we read as we continue in chapter, in verse six. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, there's this interesting double standard in this story, and this is totally an aside for just a second, okay? It's interesting to me that every time we talk about Daniel, we still call him Daniel, even though his new name was Belteshazzar. But every time we talk about Hananiah and we talk about Mishael and we talk about Azariah, you know what we call him? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So we refer to these three boys, not by their Hebrew name, but by their Babylonian name, but we refer to Daniel by his Hebrew name. We never call him by his new Babylonian name. Why is that? I don't know. I would love right now to be like, here's this profound wisdom that I have for you. I have no idea. I, I Honestly, I've read like seven different commentaries this week. I've looked up a bunch of resources. I even Googled it. I can't find an answer. It, there's no consensus. I mean, people have a lot of opinions, but there's no consensus. I mean, Daniel experienced a lot of the exact same things that these three Hebrew boys do. These four guys that were called out from among the Hebrews because there was something special about them. They were a part of the royal family. They were connected to the leadership. They were good-looking guys, well-educated. They had some strengths about them that the Babylonians recognized. These are some guys that perhaps we could raise up in power in Babylon, and then we could send them back among their people in Judah, and they would have influence, but they would have our way of thinking and our way of living, and they would help to lead in a way that we want them to lead to lead these people that we've now taken captive. I have no idea why we always refer to Daniel as Daniel and not Belteshazzar. I have no idea why we call the other three Hebrew boys by their Babylonian name. And yet that's how the story plays out pretty much for the rest of these first few chapters of Daniel. But look what happened. As soon as these boys were captured, you know what the enemy decided to do? Rename them. He decided to attack that one thing that's been with you your whole life. All the other things in your life, you've, you've kind of gotten as you've gone along. You've acquired some skills. You've gotten a job. You've developed relationships. You've had acquired tastes. But pretty much since day one, you've had an identity. You've had a name. You've had something that was unique to you. It was bestowed upon you. Someone had given that name to you. Names in scripture are important. So often after someone has a unique experience with God, they are given a new name in the Old Testament. We see some of these transformation stories of the New Testament where Saul becomes Paul and we see where Jesus bestows new names and new identities on people that have experienced these profound experiences with him. You and I have an identity, we have a name. And one of the great tactics of the enemy right now in present day is to try to attack identity, to try to go after who you believe yourself to be. That's one of the great tactics of the enemy. He's only got three or four. And what he does is when he comes in and he, he traps you and he captures you, you know the first thing that he tries to do? He tries to change your name. He comes against you and instead of you being who you've always been, instead of you being the name and being called by the name that someone else bestowed upon you that connects you to the past and connects you to heritage and connects you to legacy, you know what he does? He immediately starts to label you by the worst mistakes you've ever made. Once he traps you, once he gets a hold of your life, once you've made some decisions and you've been led down a path that perhaps you never would have chosen if you knew this was the way it was going to go, you no longer carry your name, you carry the scars and maybe the scarlet letter of your transgressions and your sins and that's where people begin to know you by. The first thing that the enemy loves to do is he loves to challenge your identity. He loves to challenge your name and so what we have to recognize is that God also knows your name. He also knows your identity. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knitted you together in this amazing process, this beautiful process that Trevor and Lauren have just experienced over these last few days to see all of that come to fruition in this amazing process of the sovereignty of God as he knits us together. Identity is formed and given by God and no one else can change that. And here's what I believe. The enemy has been doing this since humanity began. Adam and Eve were in the garden 
They go to the tree, they experience the, the pain of sin. And you know what the enemy does in that process? He doesn't say God is a liar. He just puts enough on the hook to cause them to question if God could actually tell the truth or not. Did God really say? And so often that's the slippery slope at which identity begins to morph. Is this true? Is this who I am? Is this what I'm about? Is this all I'm good for? But we need to lean in in those moments to the truth of God's word. This is what Isaiah 43, one says. It says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Don't forget that, that God has called you by name and you are his. He has ransomed us from a life of death. I heard this a few years ago and I love it, so I've stolen it. I say it a lot now and I don't know who to quote it to, so just act like it's me. The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin and he calls you by your name. There's a difference in the way that God approaches us from the way that the enemy approaches us. God calls you by your name because it's your identity. He calls you in those burning bush moments. He calls you out, Moses, Moses. He calls you by name because he wants you to know that he has an intimate, personal relationship in mind for you. The enemy just wants to call you by your greatest mistakes and your sins. So the first truth today is that you have to be committed to who you are. Let's continue reading in Daniel chapter one, beginning back in verse eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And the king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Please tell your servants for 10 days, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. I really wish that this verse right here would have said, and he gave them steak and potatoes because then I could get on board with the Daniel fast every year is really what I could do. But he gave them vegetables instead. King Nebuchadnezzar started by changing their name. He challenged their identity. And then he progressed to changing their diet. He, he, he then went into changing what it was that they consumed. Now, on a pretty regular basis, I mentioned food in my messages. I would love to say that's because I'm a foodie. You know what a foodie is? It's a fancy word for an eater, okay? I love Mexican food. I love Burger King Whoppers. I love Junior's Cheesecake from New York City. I mean, I love food. I really, really do. And so many different times over the years, I've tried to lose some weight, get in a little better shape, but I've never really stuck with it long enough to change my taste buds. I eat the things that they tell me will help me to kind of lose weight and be healthier, and they all taste like cardboard to me. And every time I drive by that char-grilled smell of Burger King, my car steers itself. I don't know how it happens, right? I ran across this picture this week and I thought it was very appropriate for what we're talking about. It says when your cheap meal turns into a six-month-long snack accident. You ever had anything like that happen to you? It's like, I don't even know how my face got this big. It just, chips and salsa, I don't know, it goes right to the chin. I'm not really sure how that happens. King Nebuchadnezzar knew. He knew that if he could get these boys to change their name, and if he could get them to change their food, it would change their identity, and it would really change who they are. 
He wanted to take them from being called Hebrew names to being called Babylonian names. And then he wanted to take them from eating Hebrew food to eating Babylonian food so that they would begin to think like Babylonians and not like Hebrews. They would begin to make decisions like the Babylonians did. Well, Jesus said the same kind of thing in Luke chapter six. Verse 45 says this, it says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar knew that Jesus affirmed in the book of Luke. Whatever you put in changes what comes out of you. And so often what happens in our lives is we focus on the stuff that's coming out of us and we try to address the stuff coming out of us without ever dealing with the stuff that we put into us. And so here's what I wanna do. I just wanna sound like an old curmudgeon for a second. Can I do that? Can I just have your permission to sound like an old curmudgeon? When I was growing up in the church, you know what they used to call this? Holiness. They used to talk about holiness in almost every service I was a part of. But what happened is there was a group of people that took the idea of holiness and they took it to the extreme and they became judgmental and they became legalistic and they came like the book of Acts where it says, no, you can't just be saved by these things. We're gonna add all these extra things to the gospel and it's not just through faith alone that you're saved. It's also in the way that you dress and the things that you do and the things that you don't do. That's how you're saved and that's not the gospel. And so what happened is in our pursuit of not being legalistic, we actually stopped pursuing holiness. And some of the things that we're fighting today, some of the battles that we are wrestling with today in our culture and in the church and in our lives is a result of us focusing on trying not to say the wrong things and trying to worry about the things that come out of us and ignoring the things that are going into our lives. And here's some things I wrote down this week as a challenge to me and perhaps a challenge to you. Just because someone else turns it on doesn't mean you have to listen to it. Just because it's the number one show in America does not mean you have to watch it in your house. Just because no one will ever find out doesn't mean you should be looking at it. I believe that the things that we put into us shape who we are and it impacts what comes out of us. When I was a child, they used to sing this little song, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. You've gotta be committed to who you are and who God's called you to be, but you also have to be committed to abstaining from those things that defile you. And Daniel recognized that even though he was living in Babylon, he was not going to take in the things of Babylon because he would lose the true sense of who he was. And if they ever sent him back to lead his Hebrew people or perhaps they would raise him up, which is what happened to rule in Babylon, he wanted to hold true to who he was. You have to abstain from the things that defile you. Stop worrying as much about the things that come out and start filtering more and more the things that go in. Whatever is stored up in your heart, whatever you allow to come into your life, I promise you it shapes who you are and it eventually comes out of your life. Here's the third idea. Perhaps the most famous and familiar passage that we'll read today is in Daniel chapter three. It says this, we're skipping around through the first 18 verses. We're not reading all of these, but it says this. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the hort, <laughs> the hort, the horn and the flute, and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And therefore, as soon as they had heard the sound, all the nations of the peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree. But there are some Jews whom you have set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, verse 14. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He just keeps calling them by their new name. That you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up. If you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He's questioning the authority of God, the power of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. King Nebuchadnezzar thought that if he changed their name and he changed their diet, he could change what they worship. And there are people all around us, and maybe some of us are guilty, that we have allowed the truth to get just distorted enough in our hearts that we're worshiping something other than God. It never starts there. It never starts in worship. It starts in identity. It starts at the table. It starts with the consumption of things to begin to distort and water down and change who we believe we are and the things that are going into us that shape how we interact with other people and the things that begin to come out of us. And so when it comes time to worship, we lose our sense of self and we put other things and other people and other items and other idols before Jehovah God. But I love the strength and the confidence and the boldness of these three Hebrew boys. They said, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to defend ourselves against you. Now, that right there was them signing their death sentence. You don't speak to the king that way. You don't defy the king in his order. The original decree said that if they didn't bow the first time, they were gonna be thrown in the furnace. They're getting a second shot. And they said, listen, we don't have to defend ourselves against you. We believe that God will deliver us from this. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. We will not defile ourselves in this way. We will not worship something or someone other than our God. In my life, I need a little more, but even if he doesn't kind of faith. It's easy to worship God when I know that he will come through. But faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are unseen. It's standing in front of the one who can literally take your life and saying, I'm not gonna do what you tell me to do because it's not right. I'm going to choose to do the right thing even if it's hard. I will not do this because it's not who I am. You're making it about worship. I'm telling you it goes back to my name and it goes back to what I eat. It goes back to what I put into me. And that is where my worship comes from. It comes out of the core of who I am. 
It comes out of the depths of my heart. That's where praise rises up. It's not just standing in a room and singing a song because somebody puts words on a screen. It is a celebration in advance of what we believe God can do. It's a pronouncement of faith that says, God, I am holding to the truth that you are possible. You are capable from, for everything that I'm believing you to do. Even when it seems impossible in my life, I know it's possible because of who you are. I'm going to do the right thing even if it's hard. And you're like, okay, then, then where do we go with all this? Where do we go? This is just a bunch of stuff. Like what does all this look like in a practical sense? Don't grow weary. Be committed to faithfulness. Do what's right. This last week I was listening to a sermon from a pastor friend of mine. And as he was sharing this idea, it really spoke to me, really challenged me. And so I'm ripping off his formula and I'm gonna put in some of the things we've been talking about today. And I'm gonna look at this idea of doing what's right even when it's hard. Being in debt is hard. Paying off debt is hard. So choose your hard. Just do what you believe is right. It's, it's all hard. If you're looking for the easy way out, there is no easy way. Aren't you glad you showed up today to be encouraged like this, right? There is no easy way. You just do what's right, even when it's hard. Fighting in your marriage is hard. Fighting for your marriage is hard. Choose your hard. I'm gonna do what's right, even when it's hard. It's all hard. So I'm gonna choose hard but I'm gonna do what's right. The enemy's gonna try to trick you. Did God really say? Is this what really what you should do? God would not ask you to do something that's this hard. No, God's asking you to do what's right. Some of you can testify to this one. Being an addict is hard. Finding freedom is hard. Choose your heart. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay the course. I'm just gonna be committed. I'm just gonna be faithful. I, I, I'm not gonna grow weary in doing what is right just because it's hard. I'm gonna stay the course and believe that God is bringing a harvest. Believing that God is going to keep his word. It's all hard. So I'm just gonna do what is right. This last week's been tough. This has been really tough for a lot of different reasons. This coming Tuesday is the 10th anniversary of my mom's passing. She died very, very young. It's been on my mind for weeks. And this week I've sat in two funerals. People that I know and love who've lost someone they love. And it's just stirred up all those emotions. It's 10 years. The day we were driving away from the grave, I didn't think it would still feel like this 10 years later, but it does. And I've sat in these funerals this week and I've listened as a wife described her husband as the best man, just the best. And I listened to some friends and family this past Friday as his wife of 68 years sat on the front row and I've listened as that family just declared how good this man was. And you know what I didn't hear at any point in either of those two funerals? They just chose the easy way. You know, they just, they just tried to figure out how to cut corners. 
You know, they just, they just didn't really make me feel like I was a priority. Whenever it got tough, they gave in. In both of those funerals, I heard stories of people that were faithful, people that were steadfast, and people that persevered in the, in the face of adversity. And you don't live for what people will say after you're gone. But what I want you to know is that when you die, whenever that is, a long, long time from now, whenever you die, they're probably going to say nice things about you anyway. But unless you've actually lived it, your story ends that day. But if you've chosen to do what's right, even when it's hard, if you said, you know what? Being an addict is hard, but I'm gonna fight for my freedom so that the generations that come after me don't have to fight the battles that I'm fighting. I'm gonna do what's right. And fighting in my marriage is hard. And I don't know why we do it all the time, but fighting for my marriage is hard. And I'm gonna do what's right, even though it's hard. And balancing and juggling the schedule of my job and career and whatever I'm doing in education and trying to prioritize family and relationships and friends, it's all hard. But I'm gonna do what's right, even when it's hard. Don't grow weary in doing good because in the right season, you will reap a harvest. So there's three closing questions today that come right from the text here in Daniel. The first is this. People can call you what they want, but do you know who you are? People can call you whatever they want, and they will. But do you know, deep down, who you are? That you've been ransomed by God, and he calls you by name, and that you are his. The second question is this. People can put anything in front of you, but do you control what you consume? Have you chosen to defile yourself? If so, get up from the table. Let the last time you did it be the last time. You decide what comes in so that you help shape what's coming out. People can put a lot of things in front of you, but do you control what you consume? Here's the third question. People can command worship, but do you control to whom your knee bows? Do you have the kind of faith that says, my God will deliver me? But even if he doesn't, I will not bow my knee to someone other than the God who ransomed me, who loved me, who knitted me together in my mother's womb. I'm committed to doing what's right even when it's hard. I'm committed. Committed to faithfulness, committed to the process, committed to the journey committed to stand strong in the face of feeling weak on the strength of God, believing that God is in control and God is sovereign. He's sovereign over all things. And in due time, we will reap a harvest. So today I'm gonna ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes in the room and watching online. Just a moment of personal reflection I believe that right now you know what God is desiring to do in you. Perhaps it's to make that first decision 
into a relationship with Jesus Christ to ask him to forgive your sins and be the Lord of your life. And if that's you, in just a second, we wanna give you the opportunity to accept this free gift of salvation. In fact, if that's you today, you say, hey, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I invite you right now, just lift your hand right where you're at in the room. We wanna pray for you. Nobody's looking around. If you're watching online, you can drop that into the chat or click the button that's available so we can follow up with you. And now this next response is in three parts. You can respond to as many of them as you feel are necessary. But if you say, I need God to help me to know my identity, to know who I am, to know that he knows my name and to make sure I know my name. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? If you second guess yourself, you're not sure who you are, thank you so much. If you'd say, you know what? I need to lean into holiness. I need to filter some of the things I'm bringing in to make sure I'm more in control of what's coming out of me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Those that are watching online, I invite you to respond today. Now, if you would say to me, you know what? I, I'm worshiping some other stuff. I'm giving my affection away to things that are not God in a way that should be reserved only for God. And I wanna make sure that my heart and my life, there's a confidence to stand up for what's right, even when it's hard. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. For those that are watching online, respond right now. We wanna pray for you as well. God, I thank you today for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for what you're doing in our people. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in me in this season of time. And God, now I pray for those who have responded to the need for salvation. It's a free gift. They don't have to do anything to earn it except to acknowledge their need for it. So God, now we pray that you would forgive their sins and lead their lives from this moment forward. God, I pray for those today that wanna be committed to their identity. They wanna hold to the truth of who you've called them to be. God, don't allow the enemy to distort that. Try to change their name and label them by their worst mistakes. God, let them hold to the grace of God over their lives. God, I pray for those who need to lean more into holiness and to filter those things that they don't need to bring into their lives so that it doesn't come out of their lives. God, cleanse our hearts, purify our lives. And God, now I pray that you would give us the confidence and boldness to do what is right, even when it's hard. God, don't let us worship other things, give our affection to other things, compromise our beliefs, but God, stand for what is right and true. And God, will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.